Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. What is up, brave parents? Kelly and Chelsea here, and we are so thankful that you've tuned in with us today. We've got some hard truths to present today, don't we, Kel? We do. And uh, yeah, we pray that it helps you both in life and in parenting when it comes to social media. So today we're going to debunk social media myths. Now, these are beliefs that perhaps you or someone you love hold regard social media. And as we know, beliefs drive behavior. So we want to provide biblical backing to these myths so that we can discern the truth. Now, at one point in time, Kelly or myself may have believed these myths that were actually truths and we lived them out. But thankfully, we learned that they were just myths and we were only fooling ourselves. So as iron sharpens iron, Kel, right? We want to help out some brothers and sisters today. That's right. By God's grace, we have learned a little something along the way. And we want to help you both personally as well as in your parenting. It is our hope that our discussion will provide you with words so that you can teach your kids about how not to use social media. We're going to be referring to chapter 5 of Ephesians throughout our episode. So if you want to take a moment, pause the podcast, read the chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians, which is the whole thing is excellent. Um, We're going to be focusing on the beginning portion, but then come back and then consider how to apply God's word along with us. Because we believe, as we said in our intro, God's word is sufficient and it is sufficient for this cultural moment. And so we are going to trust that sufficiency as we apply it to our lives in regard to social media. Absolutely. Um, In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us to look carefully at our walk, essentially our lifestyle, and to be wise but not unwise because we're representatives of Christ. So in today's episode, we're going to examine how we as Christians can abuse social media by believing these five myths. Yep. And so we're going to examine how the abuse of social media by believing these five myths, impacts the most important people in your life. And we believe that is our children. For some of us, the unwise people Paul is referring to can be our own kids. Some of us are living with children who maybe have not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and being called into the kingdom of God. And so it's even more important to show them the truthfulness and trustworthiness of Scripture. We can either glorify God in front of our kids, or we are going to be hypocritical ambassadors of the gospel. And that is not what we want. No, definitely not. That's kind of painful to think about, isn't it? Hypocritical ambassadors ambassadors. of the gospel. And sadly, I think all of us are at certain points in time. Oh, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. this is why we want to tackle this topic is because when it comes to social media, we can't say one thing, but then do another. Absolutely. When it comes to our kids. And I think that a lot of us are are deceived in this way. You and I have been deceived before in this way. And so hopefully this this is really impactful. It was helpful for us. Yeah. So, Kel, you want to take us into our first myth? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first myth is that social media is ministry. Now, arguably, this is the myth that justifies the use of all social media and a variety of bad habits. The problem is, is we have lost the biblical meaning of the word ministry. We sort of create our own working definition that suits our desires and really the traditions of our time and culture. Take dictionary.com's definition of ministry. 
They say it is the work or vocation of a minister of religion. Merriam-Webster's definition says the office, duties, or functions of a minister. Well, none of these fully capture God's definition. So in order to do that, we must go back to God's intention of the word ministry and work outwards from that definition or starting point. So biblically, ministry means serving in the function of a priest by offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now let's thread this out to fully understand what it means. Back in the Old Testament, God chose Moses's brother Aaron and then Aaron's descendants to be priests. Now the priest was responsible for making these sacrifices pleasing to God. And under the old covenant, however, that sacrifice that was pleasing to God was the death of an animal. This doesn't necessarily mean that death in general was pleasing to God, but that the sacrificial death covered the sins of man, that what was what was pleasing to God. So in the New Testament, Jesus abolishes this priesthood of Aaron and establishes a priesthood of believers. So that is those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died a sacrificial death on the cross to atone for their sin, only to rise from the dead. We, all of those who believe all that, we are all priests. So not only are Christians called to be ministers, as they are priests, but that these names are fundamentally about service. To be a minister or a priest means that you're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That basically means you do work, not to benefit yourself, but you do work unto the Lord for his glory and the benefits of others. The key to understanding ministry is that the person's motivation behind the work determines its acceptability to God. It can't be selfish, right? Pride and self-indulgence can easily become the motivation in ministry, and especially when we're calling social media the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should thread this out just a little bit further and ask, what is the most pleasing sacrifice to God? Cal, I think the answer is it's the death of self. Remember, Jesus said that we're to pick up our cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow him. Romans 12.1 tells us that we are to present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. So that really makes me wonder, what sacrifices, if any, are we offering up to God on social media? I mean, can we truly do the work of ministry the way you just described, the way God intends on social media? Right. Like, can it happen, right? Yeah, I mean, these are good questions. And this may be a little bit more theological than you've ever thought of ministry or maybe definitely social media. But let's just focus on the one thing, like promotion of self. Even good old-fashioned pride, this is a clear objective of social media. It's about the individual person. Even the mere fact that we use the language of a social media platform is a clear example. What is a platform? It's an elevated surface above a crowd used to gain attention and focus of that crowd for the purpose of what? Connection, influence, even entertainment of that individual. So if ministry is about doing work in the way of spiritual sacrifices for the glory of God, for others, isn't that the complete opposite of social media? I mean, 
it will be extremely hard to keep the proper motivations of ministry when you're elevating yourself or your work for others to see. I know this is something that we struggle with in Brave Parenting all the time. Absolutely. It's a hard, this is a hard line to walk, a this very is hard line. really hard. This is why we very seldomly do anything on social media is because of this struggle. So let's consider our reference to Ephesians 5. Paul tells us to be imitators of God, to walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, the Christian life is designed to reproduce godliness as modeled by Jesus Christ. The Christian has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating his Lord. So can we say that this is what happens when our ministry is social media, when it's the home for self-promotion and pride? Ouch. That's, I mean, like, I just keep thinking, ouch. (laughs) But it's so good. Like, it is. And it's so illuminating because even, I mean, we've, I've believed in this myth before, but still I'm sitting here listening to you and I, I'm still really considering my own use of social media in light of this definition. It takes a lot of humility to self-reflect in this way and to realize maybe you've been doing it wrong, Mm -hmm. but you're so right. Participating in social media isn't truly a ministry because it's not a sacrifice of self. In fact, like you said, I think it's the very opposite not participating in social media would be a sacrifice because you can't promote yourself. You can't engage in entertainment or mindless scrolling. There's no pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. If you ask any parent holding back on social media from their kids, and this would include me and you, (laughs) they'll tell you, we'll tell you that it is a sacrifice to hold back on social media. Uh, Whether that be actually social media or video gaming or any type of online content that influences, right? Holding back is hard. It is a sacrifice. These parents will tell you that the choice is attacked repeatedly, not only from within as they wrestle with their own doubt, because it's hard as your kids are constantly complaining and whining because they're the only child on the planet that can't do this thing, but also attacked from outside sources by other parents who wonder how on earth can your child have a social life without Snapchat? How on earth can your child live without TikTok? Mm-hmm. It's so true. So I think what you're saying is that real ministry is doing the hard work of parenting in a culture saturated with media and technology. That's a sacrifice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And instead of calling media a ministry, I think what we need to do is adopt the language of saying it is a tool that we use for ministry, right? It's a tool that we can participate in as we do ministry. Whether we like it or not, social media seems to be here, you know, to stay. I'd like for it maybe to go away some days, but it's going to be here. So we have to look at how we as Christians talk about social media because it's important. The language that we use is of great consequence. And as we said earlier, what you believe about social media and ministry individually and jointly, will impact your behavior. Let's make sure that we can articulate the use of social media very clearly and its place with very clear and concise words and actions. Absolutely. So I think instead of saying social media is my ministry or part of my ministry, I think I love what you said. Social media is a tool that I sometimes use for ministry. 
right? Let's, I love what you said, adopt new language, a new vernacular of how we talk about this, because it's helpful for us to think through what ministry is, how it's defined by the Bible, because we truly want to do it for the glory of God. Yeah. So our next myth, if our listeners can handle the next one, because that was a lot of just hard truth, but good truth, um, is I use social media to spread the gospel. So again, let's go back to definitions. Let's define the gospel. It is the good news. Absolutely. Yes. And amen. But more specifically, the gospel is a balanced report that we share with the unsaved. It's equal parts of what Jesus has saved us from, which is our sin, and how much he loved us by willingly taking on the wrath of God to save us from that sin. And in Romans 10, 17, Paul says that faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ comes through hearing. Now, arguably, yes, someone could come to faith by reading a report of the gospel online, but the point is they must believe what they read. That's key, right, Cal? They've got to have faith, that gift of faith. Can we just be honest for a second and ask the question, when was the last time that you trusted, believed, and had faith in what you read or saw on social media? That's a big assumption that someone would read the gospel on social media and actually believe. A hundred percent, Kelly. And the truth is the concept of using social media to spread the gospel is actually only valid if you're working for a missionary agency that's actively trying to reach a people group who live in a country that's closed to Christians physically. So some places like Iran or African countries, social media can be used to reach people with specific content that teaches them the gospel in their language or specific dialect because they have the internet, but they don't have missionaries. And the reality is that these missionaries have very specific training and equipping to do this work. It's very different than the everyday Christian sharing a meme of a Bible verse or links to YouTube sermons in between pictures of their kids and then calling it sharing the gospel, right? It's really confusing. <laughs> it's absolutely true. And I recognize that someone could argue that they are an influencer for the gospel by sharing their pure and ministry-driven life. They are influencing others to want to live that, that same hashtag blessed life as them. I'm trying not to be cynical, but I mean, there is a lot, there's a lot of us that are deceived in thinking that when I self-promote my hashtag blessed life, other people are going to want that because of what they see on social media. But that is that curated life, almost that curated message that people are sharing. It's almost so overdone. I don't think that it's even authentic anymore. No one can actually say, oh, I want that Christian life that that influencer has. Yeah, that's true. Have you ever been asked on social media? How do you, wow, those pictures look really great. How did you get that life? No, no one's asking that question. I never got asked that question. And I believe this lie. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's absolutely, yeah. But honestly, as influencers are constantly falling by the wayside because their authenticity comes into question by their followers or their credibility crumbles under the pressure of fame and scrutiny. I mean, I immediately think of the Duggars and going on television and what that has all led to, right? The trust of what is seen or read on social media becomes smaller and smaller. If you're not following influencers, but rather you see a picture of someone who really looks put together and happy. We question, is that real? Is that a curated picture? You know, why are they sending that specific message? You know, these are the questions that we're constantly asking because why? 
social media is a platform for elevating self-promotion. We're always going to wonder if this person has a wrong or misplaced motive of pride, selfishness, greed, whatever. Whether you're posting a Bible verse or whether you're posting a picture of your kid. Unfortunately, these beliefs are now ingrained in us about social media. Right. We're all just a little bit more dubious than we were, say, 10 years ago. But when it comes to something so consequential, the difference between heaven or hell, should we who are not working for a missionary agency actually use social media to spread the gospel? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a great point is there are missionary agencies who are doing just that to specific people groups who have the internet but don't have missionaries. That's a great point. And let's, let's just look at Ephesians 5. So Paul teaches us to be imitators of God. Again, and he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things and that these things he had just defined before as being immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, and the like. So because of these things, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Y'all, we cannot deny that social media is home for empty words. If ever there was a home for empty words that deceive, this is the home. It is the breeding ground for immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, all of these things as Paul defined them. That's where we find it. So how on earth can we partake in this type of unholiness and call it evangelism? Are you asking me that question? Because I know the answer. And I'm just, I'm <laughs> we can't. It's just, it's just that simple. We cannot. It is a myth to believe that we can use social media to spread the gospel unless we are trained missionaries to do so. It's not the place. It really isn't. I really don't like saying that. It makes me a little uncomfortable, right? But the truth of it is how it's used and how people interact with social media. I think that there can be content that can be shared that you that pushes someone off of social media. Like say, I have a blog and I'm writing about, you know, deep theological things or spiritual things. I'm encouraging people with my writing and I share this on social media, but I'm pulling you, you know, off of social media. That can work sometimes. Right. And I've seen that and it, it can be a, a beautiful thing, but it's not, it's not always just sharing the gospel. It doesn't, doesn't work like we think that it is going to. We're not going to influence all of our um, 300 Facebook friends, you know, by sharing John 3.16 in a, in a graphic image every day. Yeah, it's true. It's just not going to happen. Okay. All right. Let's move on to myth number three. And that is people need my positivity and I provide that with my content. Oh my gosh, Kelly. I have so been here. Brave parents, you just need to know this, like all of what Kelly and I are talking about. It just hits the nail on the head so many times for the way I've used it. But yeah, you've kind of touched on this before when we talked about Christians trying to influence others with their holy lives, right? This myth really seems pretty harmless and full of good intention and pretty innocuous, honestly. And it, it does tie right into our last two myths. So let's just acknowledge again what we know about social media. I've said this at least 100 times. It is not neutral. Social media is not neutral. It exists to make money off of the information people post. It is designed to be addictive. 
also because it consists of millions of sinners, (laughs) both redeemed and unredeemed, it is still divisive and harsh and sometimes dangerous. Social media is like a drawing salve of the sinfulness of man. It just brings out the worst in people sometimes, a lot of times, honestly. Because of this, you know, some people really altruistically believe that in order to combat that negativity, they need to import their positivity into this dark place. That whether it be a ministry, whether it be sharing, you know, the gospel, they need this positivity out there to counter all of the negative. And, you know, really when we say share the gospel, I mean, it's like the half truth of the gospel, right? Because a lot of times it's just the Jesus loves you part of the gospel. (laughs) It's not the full gospel. The full gospel, you know, we must share that the social media world does not want to hear. It's, it's consists of two parts. It's two equal parts. It's that we need saving because we're sinners and why he saved us. We need to be saved from the wrath of God that is coming because we have sinned against a holy God. And that is really hard to share on social media. But what's easy to share is Jesus loves you. Or as the new ad campaign that's out there, he gets us. Mm. He gets us. Exactly. He's just mm-hmm. like you and I. And that's a really easy message to share. But nobody wants to take ownership of their sin. No one wants to say, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And when you take that part away, sure, Jesus sounds great. Let's just, you know, share love, share positivity, because it's that negative aspect of the fact that we're a sinner that no one wants. No one wants that on social media. So we just pour on the positive. Exactly. And I think we should go back to what Paul says again in Ephesians 5, 5, 6. Do not let anyone fool you with empty words and deceive you. But here's the thing, Cal. Shouldn't we consider if we are the ones providing the empty words and deceiving people? Is telling people a half-truth empty? Yes, it is. Because while Jesus does love people, he doesn't want them to continue on in the sin that he died to save them from. How often do positive Christian posts on social media reflect the depravity of what we've been saved from? The sinfulness of our past or the sinful thoughts and the behaviors that we still struggle with? I can't think of much of any. And every day, non-believers can see right through the inauthenticity, excuse me, of superficial posts about how blessed and highly favored you are. It's so true. It's important to deeply consider if you are contributing to these half-truths on social media, as you said, and ask ourselves, why are we holding back on these two equally important truths? Is it just the fear of man? Are we fearing Uh, rejection, maybe the mockery from others. Because to talk about original sin and our culture in this moment, it's going to earn you backlash. That's just the reality. Or is it because you don't want to contribute to this perceived negativity that is on social media, you know, to what's already just really a negative environment? If either of those are true, then social media just cannot possibly be a place to share the gospel, right? Paul says, We are supposed to be living as children of light, and the fruit of that light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Yep. And that kind of promotion of just telling a half-truth majorly calls our witness into question. 
But also, we really need to think about this whole concept of being positive on social media. If spreading positivity on social media is more about how you feel when you walk away from the post, then it's not really about others. It's for you to feel good about you. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't take long to search Facebook, to look at Instagram, to watch TikTok, whatever it is that you're doing. And immediately, number one, start judging. Or number two, to identify self-promotion. It's, it can be positive. But even if you're bragging about, and I say bragging, boasting, whatever you want to say, about your kids' accomplishments, because that's a lot, a lot of what we see, let's say it's on Facebook at least, how is, how is that positive? Because there could be a parent who's really struggling with what their kid is doing and seeing your boasting of how much your child has succeeded while you feel like it's positive. You have, we have no idea the impact of what, what we are posting actually does to other people. And that's something that we can't just say, oh, well, that's on them. You know, we'll just leave it to the Lord. I'm just going to put all my positivity out there. We have to consider how our actions and what we post and what is out there, what it's really doing. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And if you're not able to share the whole truth of the gospel on social media because you're afraid of man or the mockery or the rejection, then I'm going to assume that you're even more petrified and terrified to share it with someone to their face. Oh, for sure. Right? Oh, for sure. And, and that's where it really matters is to be able to be in community with people and to share the gospel in love and truth and kindness and compassion because that's where our witness is, I think, most effective, right? Absolutely. Yep. That was a great myth to debunk. All right. So are you going to take us into our fourth one? Yes. All right. Number four, relationships are crucial in Christianity. So therefore, I'm always available to connect using social media. Hey, we agree. I mean, right? We love relationships. Like, <laughs> it's true. We agree that relationships are good. Like, well, let's look at what we can agree with on that myth. And that's, yeah, relationships are crucial in Christianity. But in all humanity, they're crucial. God designed us to be relational beings. He wants to first be in a relationship with us. And then, you know, we can be in relationship with other people. That's the most important relationship is our relationship with God. But that being said, being available 24-7 is not biblical. Jesus rested. Jesus withdrew from the crowds. So even if you consider those who are tasked with temporary times of 24-7 availability, like doctors on call, pastors, or first responders, this isn't about relationship so much as it's about duty. They have taken on the duty of service that is unique and weighty. And while some people may be called to use social media as a tool for their ministry, the truth is that it is not a 24-7 need or expectation. Not only that, but good, healthy relationships are made up of individuals who respect each other's need to withdraw for rest and for privacy. The reality of believing this myth and acting accordingly is that there is always a sacrifice made in order to be that available for online connection and relationships. I fear most that what is sacrificed is time in God's word, time with your spouse, time with your kids, all things that God deems as the highest priority in our lives. So I think Ephesians 5, again, we can go back to it and let's talk about it. As we learn how to be imitators of God, verse 15 says to be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise men, 
making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then Paul continues, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most of your time is not spending all of that time on social media. In fact, I would argue it's the exact opposite. Remember earlier, Paul warned not to be partakers with those who engage in immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, and the like. I'm going to be so bold to say that is the majority of social media, y'all. So this is this should not be where we are making the most use of our time. So what are we supposed to do? How do we not be foolish but know what the will of the Lord is? We cultivate our relationship with God. Remember, that is the most important relationship in our life. That is one of, that's the best use of our time is cultivating that relationship because everything is going to flow from that relationship. And frankly, if we believe, truly believe that relationships are crucial, then we should also make time for them with face-to-face context, right? Hosting dinner, scheduling play dates, and creating maybe a discipleship group that's going through a book or a book study, watching a sports game together, or any other way you can think of to actually bring people together. Just like Jesus deeply discipled only 12, you'll find the management, the prayer, the intentionality that it takes to maintain relationships with a small number of people to be a proper use of your time. We can't manage a thousand friends or how many other followers that we have. It's so much better to have deep and meaningful relationships with a few than shallow relationships that you're available to at any time with a hundred. Absolutely. I think what I hear you saying is we cannot bear the burden of always being connected to everyone because we're not God. We were not meant to function with this kind of quasi-omnipresence because that is one of his attributes he chose not to share with his creation. That's a great point. Brother or sister in Christ, you have so many attributes of God, but not his incommunicable ones. And it's only true that he can bear that burden. And it's his alone to bear. We are called to be faithful to a little bit. And then maybe a little bit more will be added to our faithfulness. But that's it, Kel, right? I think it's the, the key here, the takeaway here of debunking this myth is we do need relationships. We can communicate using the functions and tool that is social media, maybe with those people or maybe even with, a, with others. But it is still always about deep, meaningful, face-to-face relationships. As we look at our loneliness epidemic, we have to get back to this truth. We need these relationships that are face-to-face, life-on-life, not just connection over, over the internet, over social media platforms or whatever tool that is that you're using. Okay, drum, drum roll. roll. We're going into <laughs> it. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Um, our fifth social media myth for today is prayer requests can be shared quicker and with more people. Okay. Mm. I'm going to let you handle that one. So (laughs) this is one we might get a little bit of pushback on, but please hear us out. Chelsea and I have had some very long, deep conversations about this topic as we really prayed through the reality of what this is. Uh, Most people, just reality is you receive your news from social media. That's just the landscape. 
of how news is delivered. It's constantly being updated and changed, and that's just how we receive it now. And that means how we receive news from each other has changed on social media as well. And while we agree that praying for each other and with each other is a very good and necessary practice, we don't believe it's always wise or effective to share prayer requests on social media. Now, this is because more often than not, people are just information vultures, you could say, right? They just kind of consume all this content, but it doesn't really move them toward action. They read a prayer request, but then they don't actually pray for the request. And Chelsea and I will admit, we are guilty of this exact thing. Absolutely. And so this is why we can say that this is happening is because we've talked to lots of people and everyone kind of agrees. So this is the unfortunate reality of the nature of social media consumption. It's about scrolling and consuming, about passing the time, about being entertained. Another unfortunate reality is we have been receiving so much negative news so quickly and so frequently that we've all built up a pretty strong apathy muscle. We're not moved anymore. And the third reality that we need to look at is just the depravity of mankind. We are selfish and think of ourselves, which is further emphasized by social media, right? We think of ourselves more than others. We read that someone has cancer and we think, oh, that's so sad. And maybe we leave a comment saying we're praying. But again, from experience, how often is that turned into action? How often are you on your knees praying for that person? Or really, how often is that request just lost in the scroll? We don't think about it again until we see another one of their posts updating their status. I'm totally guilty of this, Kelly. And I'll just totally come out and say it. I, because I, it's so many people. We have so many friends online. It's hard to keep up with it. Like we said in our last myth, the intentionality and time that it takes to maintain face-to-face -face relationships, I don't have that same bandwidth for intentionality and time for the online stuff, right? It's absolutely true. You know, it's like on one hand, the connectedness of social media has been great to keep people updated with information. But at the same time, it's really wise to be discerning about where you share information and who you're sharing it with. I really, really hope this doesn't make us sound like misers because we truly love prayer. We pray before every podcast recording, every time we're asked to speak. We pray for each other and our families. We're part of a small group of women that genuinely prays for each other. I have counselees that I'm praying for. We have pastors and our church to pray for and other friends who chime in for prayer. It's a lot. When you're heavily involved in your community and your friends, there is no way that you can take on the role of a prayer warrior for social media. Uh, and yeah. I think we have to ask ourselves, if we believe all 200 of our Facebook friends or 3,000 of our Instagram followers saying a quick prayer when we see your post would be heard in heaven more than the earnest and continuous prayers of a few close friends. But also, Cal, can we just emphasize that prayer should be in unity first with the scriptures and then with each other? When you or I post a prayer request to a wide variety of friends and we get a wide variety of responses back saying, oh, we're sending love and light your way. Positive vibes. Positive vibes. Uh, or... or who, who are they praying to? What, who's, whose light are they sending? Whose love are they sending? I mean, 
And what kind of worldview or spiritual authority are they appealing to with this love and light? Y'all, sentiment is not neutral. There is a spiritual reality to those prayer requests that we that is unseen. And we need to we need to remember that. That is a reality for Christians. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people can say prayer, but that's a very good point, Chelsea, is who are you praying to? Right. Who are you putting me in front of? And we just really want to also emphasize the necessity of discernment when sharing anything on social media, including those prayer requests. Because not only for the privacy of someone else or yourself, but again, social media is not neutral. So again, everything you share, they're using. I mean, I know it's a great way to communicate, but they are using. You know, so social media is not neutral. Our hearts, as we have already stated in a whole entire podcast, our hearts are not neutral. And these two together, when combined with a need that prompts someone to request prayer, can actually lead to hurt. How easy it can become to judge someone for not reaching out and telling you that they are praying. So for example, say I I, I post something saying, I need prayer. Well, I've got 500 Facebook friends and only two people commented. You know, that me. That right. in my heart it's can true. make me want to judge the 490 other people. I know you saw this. They're thinking, you know, I can think easily in my head, even though I have no idea whether they saw it or not. I don't control the algorithm. But it just contributes to what is our, you've got the sadness, you have this prayer request, only two people show up to say I'm praying. Now I feel unworthy. Now I feel lonely. Now I feel disconnected, even though I'm connected, right? It's just like, an avalanche of that's problems. Right. Yeah, right. The, the, you know, you have no idea who has seen it, whether or not they had time to come. I mean, there's just so many nuanced things in there. Maybe that person, you know, your friends are taking a break from social media and have no idea that you need prayer. Maybe they just don't write comments. Maybe they don't like posts, like in the sense of like hitting the like button. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Maybe they just don't do that. And I say that because I am one of those people that... It's true. I'm in stealth mode if I'm on. If I'm on, that's exactly it. As I very rarely will comment or like a post. That doesn't necessarily mean that if I see something from someone and I'm really moved, I may take that and put it into prayer, but I also may not. That's just my human nature. That's my flesh. I, I mean, I just have to be really honest and admit that. I've heard firsthand stories of friendships ending because of someone's expectations about what they have seen or should have seen or should have known because it was posted on social media, but they didn't. And this is tragic. This is heartbreaking. This is not how God intended for us to pray for one another or how we are to be in relationship with one another as fellow Christians. So just because we can reach more people doesn't mean that this is necessarily a good thing. Go to Ephesians 5, 5.18. Paul gives a command for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the John MacArthur Study Bible that I use elaborates that this means to live continually under the influence of the Spirit. Wait, not under the influence? uh, Not under social media? I'm like, huh. The Holy Spirit's the influencer I follow? Yes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And we do this by letting the Word... The word of God, control them, control us, pursuing pure lives, confessing all known sin, dying to self, surrendering to God's will, 
and depending on His power in all things. That is what it's like to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is how we are to live as imitators of God. And this is more powerful than a gaggle of Facebook followers sharing the praying hands emoji. Uh, Yes and amen. Yes and amen. I mean, these are hard truths and perhaps even harder if you've wholeheartedly believed one. Kelly and I have been there. We know we know the conviction when it hits, how, how painful it can be. But if as believers, we truly seek to be imitators of God, we need to recognize how our hearts interact with social media. So I think today, in conclusion, I think we can realize that social media, it, yeah, it has our, a place in our lives. It can be a tool for ministry, but it is not ministry in and of itself. Social media is not neutral, and it could even be argued as hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has its benefits as we live in this cultural time and place. The networking power alone of social media is incredible. I mean, we'll, we will, um, because Brave Parenting, we use it, right? Like we use that networking power. We regularly pray about how Brave Parenting engages with and on social media platforms. We cannot deny it is helpful to share our content and connect with other ministries or even you listeners. This is our best encouragement and takeaway for you. Pray. Pray about how you engage with and on social media platforms. Are you being deceived? Are you participating in in the sinfulness of the world? Just because there are a few benefits of social media, it just doesn't justify the abuse of social media at the end of the day. The less is more motto completely applies to social media. So maybe today you start a no posting streak. See how long you can go without posting or maybe not even logging on. Take a whole break and replace that time with intentional face-to-face connection, time in God's word. Uh, Maybe call someone today. Ask them to go out to dinner or maybe text a friend. Ask how you can pray for them specifically, one-on-one. Maybe if if you're one of those people who still can't talk on the phone, text them. That's fine. (laughs) But it's still one-on-one, right? It's not on a, a global platform. And then commit to doing it. Commit to praying for them. Text back and forth, you know, throughout the week and, and tell them that you have prayed for them. That is so powerful when you have one-on-one connection with someone and they are saying, I am praying for you. Or when someone says like, you're, when that person who has been praying asks, like, you just did this for me. How are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, great. No negative thoughts. Doing really great. And you get to say, praise the Lord. That is exactly what I've been praying for right? Like that is joyous that prayers have been brought to the Lord and he answered them. I mean, we are in a living and active faith. He's alive. We're alive. We work and act together. It's so much. It's incredible, y'all. It's incredible. Absolutely. I know I have a, my friend who's passed away, her mother um, is suffering from ALS. And one thing that she can do is text. And the one thing that she can do is she cannot move her body is pray. And she regularly texts me and says, I am praying for the Newcomb family. I am praying individually. Tell me how I can pray. And I just think that is beautiful. It is the most wonderful gift that I receive from her is just that acknowledgement on a regular basis that she is praying. And that is what I want to do for other people because I know the gift that it is for me. I, I don't get that over social media at all. So in the end, 
I'll leave us with Ephesians 5, 11 through 13, which edifies us as we do the ministry of brave parenting. Ephesians 5, 11 through 13 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And we pray that you do just that. Shine light into darkness and help everyone awaken to the beautiful truth of Scripture. And we believe that that can be done as a tool on social media, but it is mostly done in the context of real life, face-to-face relationships, surrounded by the community, our churches, our children, the people who are right in front of us. That is, is who we can be loving on. We don't need to love on the entire world and, and attempt to evangelize or share the gospel or do ministry with the whole world when we have children in our home that need that, need that, that need that. So awesome. Chelsea, thank you for bringing these five truths to us. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We hope this has been an encouragement to you. It's hard truth. We know that. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Be sure to subscribe so you are notified every time we release a new episode, which is every week. And so until next time, y'all, go and be brave.